1: a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Terrence Butler is a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service federal game warden. We managed to catch up at Winterstrong in South Carolina... Terence was an invited speaker. This intro is going to be very, very short, because I don't want to give away too much about this episode. But just know it's all about perceptions. Perceptions are nine-tenths of reality, right? And Terence is an individual that is changing perceptions in many, many different ways.
2: Now you gotta stay on task, okay? I'll stay on task. I'll do. I'll do as best as I possibly can. I know
1: you like to story tell. Uh huh. I do. Know?
2: I do. So
1: we're sitting in Lexington,
2: South Carolina.
1: Mm hmm. You're from around here, aren't you? No. Florida. Florida.
2: Florida. Florida. I'm from a small town called Green Cove Springs, just outside of uh, Jacksonville, Florida. See,
1: I've already made my first perception about who you're supposed to be. Okay. Based on, you know, you're supposed to be from South Carolina. No, I'm mm-hmm. from Florida. I'm from Florida. Yep. Yeah. And we are at uh, Soronex event mm-hmm. that we both didn't know that we were going to be at. And we had been talking on Instagram. And you slid into my DMs or you... Um, no, you made a post, a comment on the Arizona trail camera ban, right? Yes,
2: sir. Why are you interested in trail camera bans? Well... I I know in hunting um, and just outdoors, trail cameras are something that the hunters uh, and outdoorsmen use as a tool. And so when I saw that the tool that hunters are going to be using in Arizona was going to be banned, it it kind of it, it threw me for a loop because I hadn't heard of it and it was something that was very new. So when I saw it, it wasn't, you know, in a negative kind I was like, wow, that's like, it's shocking because you look at the news and you see things that are, you know, shocking every day. And mm-hmm. you, Obviously, you can't believe everything that mm-hmm. you read on the news, but when you see that where it's something that's going to be taken away, that's, you mm-hmm. know, that's a tool, mm-hmm. you know, it piqued my interest.
1: So it's interesting. It piqued your interest. One of the questions we kept getting from that Arizona Trail Camera thing was that people when you think when you dig into what it could be, be very difficult to enforce. Because it was specifically tied to the take of wildlife. You could only use the camera. If you if you're using the camera to aid in the take of wildlife, they wanted to take that away. Mm-hmm. But you could use the camera in any, any, any other co- context. Now, we'll obviously now introduce you because you are in the
2: f- wildlife enforcement business. Absolutely. So Go ahead and introduce yourself. So, I'm Terrence Butler. I'm a United States Fish and, United States Fish and Wildlife Service Federal Wildlife Officer. Um, I've been with the federal government now for six years. You
1: um, may have to go into my truck when if it starts
2: raining. Yeah, but that's okay. Keep going. My area of responsibility is Joint Base McGuire-Dix Lakehurst in New Jersey. Um, I love doing this job. I have fun doing it. Um, it it aligns with what I would like to do. And it aligns with what my family, uh, is with my family as well, you know, and how I want to connect my family with what I do and have enjoyment and the takeaway uh, each and every day that I go in, mm-hmm. you know, going to work. That's awesome. That's really does it feel it? I I do not, and I can honestly say this. There's been days where I've been tired. There's been days where I've been worn out. But I do not feel like I have ever worked a day in my life since I've been with. Just, just like any job,
1: right? Things. That you're passionate about. Yes. Yep. So, I wanted to have you on this podcast because you sir, there's a, there's going to be perceptions around who you are. Every element of who I'm seeing in front of me, there's perceptions around who you are and one of the things you talked to me about when we got off the phone you asked me a series of questions do you remember those questions
2: refresh my memory it was
1: about it was about the makeup of the federal game wardens in terms of their ethnicity okay do you remember those questions
2: Vaguely, keep going.
1: You said to me, I was the guy that probably got the closest when you started asking, how many how many federal game wardens do you think? It's not a large agency, let's put it like that. So you asked me, how many federal uh-huh. game wardens do you think we have uh-huh. in the United States? Uh-huh. Yep. And I think my answer was about 500. And what did I, what
2: was you my You said response? you got pretty close. I told you got pretty close. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So how many federal game wardens are there? Federal game wardens, um, I don't have the exact number. Roughly? Roughly between 300 and 400 federal wildlife officers.
1: Okay. Then you asked me, how many of those do you think are female? Mm-hmm. And I said um, 10%. Yep. I got pretty close there. Got close there. Then you asked me, how many do you think are African American? Yep. And I said, 10% of that. So it was about, I thought there was about five of you. You were very close. Which talks to one perception of you. So uh-huh. Terrence Butler, who's standing in front of me. Okay. Not that I have to say it, but we're obviously in a an audio medium, not mm-hmm. a visual medium. You're an African-American. Yes, sir. And you're an African-American federal game warden. Mm-hmm. And just that statement alone has probably blown people's minds.
2: All the time. All the time. I get it all the time. I get it all the time as far as... Um, The first question I get is, how did you get into, what made you want want to be a fish fish and wildlife officer? And growing up as a kid, um, my dad, uh, he would take us out fishing. That's where it all started, fishing. He would take us out fishing and shrimping um, as kids. And we were also involved in uh, Boy Scouts um 4-h future farmers of america and all that as as kids in our small town and we come from a, a very small town and so um it's it's on the outskirts of jacksonville but it's it's a small it is a small town and um being out there being in the outdoors um having that connection just being outside with something that as kids that's what we i mean we weren't in the city so we couldn't run up the Run up right. run, run up and down the street or whatnot right. so um every year we would attend family reunions, actually one of our family reunions butted up right next to one of the refuges, and we never ever knew it, but we would play manhunt in those woods as kids, mm-hmm. so you know over the years um growing up you know in the outdoors, being in scouts um, backpacking learning how how to survive outside and you know, the importance of nature um, is something that has always stuck in me. Like, I've never enjoyed sitting behind a desk or anything like that for extended periods of time. But, you know, being out, being outdoors, getting my hands dirty, you know, being at peace, you know, that mental focus mm-hmm. has always been something that, you know, that's that's resonated strong in my mind. Awesome.
1: So you've been a federal game warden for now, eight years. Now is three years. Three years. Three years. Three years. Mm-hmm. Three years. So where do you go from here? Like you obviously do a, you do a ton of traveling.
2: The way that travel goes is you know it's up to up to you as the officer if you if you want to travel a lot to a certain to an extent. So, um, for example, like if there's a hunt that's going on somewhere. You no, know, will put an announcement out. Hey, we need some assistance here, and if you sign up and your supervision approves it, then you can you can attend that hunt. Hmm. Um What about border? You talked about border protections,
1: right? Of refuges down on the Mexico Texas line.
2: Yes, yeah, so um the the job as a fish and wildlife officer is very very it it can be a, it can be very complex. It could be simple, it could be as complex as 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 you would, would like it to be. Um, so speaking of the border, um, um, we have refuge down in South Texas, um, and on that refuge, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot, well. South Texas is one. That's actually where I did my um, my turn when I had to go assist on um, on our um, extent down there. Um, we also have a refuge in Arizona, where you know we have parcels of property, federal land. Where um, illegal immigrants would cross over into the refuge, and so we would go down and assist our fellow federal agencies that are working on the on the border down there, apprehending um, mm-hmm. illegal immigrants crossing wow. the United States, and which is it's it's a very it's a very very humbling experience to see um, what what people go through and the struggles, because you can always relate that to back what's. Going on in the United States, you got you know people that are hungry less fortunate right here in the United States and you know you have illegal immigrants that are, are crossing over into the United States seeking that you know the same that's you know, better than what they had better than they're seeking that at minimum you know but better what better than what they had you know
1: right right so that's that's interesting because you could go from being You know apprehending illegal immigrants on the border one week to not apprehending but you know catching up with joe redneck in backwoods south carolina or backwards new jersey where your home (laughs) base is right Mm -hmm. uh for a
2: you know spotlighting ticket for white-tailed deer on the refuge absolutely absolutely so let me back up. When you say redneck, can you can you def- give me your definition of redneck? So my
1: definition would be. That's a very good question. Nobody's actually asked me that question before. It's the prototypical perception, okay, of the backwoods country guy who has no, um, you know, almost lives off the land, and but doesn't really care for anyone who has doesn't care for law enforcement does what he needs to do and there's also a very and and I'm glad you challenged me because now I'm making it's making me think and I like to think in some instances these people live off the land right and okay they you know when it comes to poaching or doing something illegal that a federal game warden would be interested in understanding the circumstance I'm sure that individual may or may not be doing it for the reasons that we see it as bad okay
2: i know that was a very complicated answer no for, no no. Uh, i'm tracking you and the reason why i asked that question is because in my line of work every day when you said when you looked at me you said perception correct right? so perception it could go hand in hand with stereotype absolutely right so when you say redneck right when you say redneck i that's the first thing that I take away is a person's ethnic ethnicity, ethnicity mm-hmm. race mm-hmm. color whatever mm-hmm. whatever I see you know on the surface I take that away what I'm looking at when anything is going on is I'm looking at their actions I'm looking at their actions because you know you can be you can be a you know, you say redneck, um, I could be, you know, African-American, right? green, yellow, blue, right. purple, whatever it is, you right. know, and you can look black, white, you know, crayon. You right. know, it doesn't matter. So um, when you look at that and you have a perception, you already have something made up in your mind. Mm-hmm. Right? A story made up in your mind. You already have a, a story made up in your mind about that thing or that person or that situation. So whenever I make contact with anybody, I try to obviously do my job, but that's one thing that I take away. Um, Me personally, um, when I was trained... Do you think
1: it's driven by the perceptions that people have of you? I don't know. you approach it more almost with that in the forefront of your brain versus somebody like maybe me who didn't grow up with perception issues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not something that would, I'd have stereotypes built into my brain versus you, you like, look, that's something I've had to overcome. So I'm going to make sure like consciously that I'm approaching a situation
2: without the bias or stereotype. You hit that, you hit the nail on the head right there. That's one thing that I make sure because I feel like once someone gets to know me and they get to talking to me a little bit and they kind of feel and understand who Terrence is because we all, everybody has a mystery in their mind. They, you have a perception and you have a mystery of what that person actually is or what that person is actually about. But then when that person actually shows you. How many times? Let me ask you another question. How many times have you encountered someone, and your you thought thought about them one way, but then down the line, you know, once you got to know them, well, you know, when I first met you, I thought this about you, mm-hmm. or I thought this. You know, when I looked at you, mm-hmm. you know, oh, all the time. You everyone does it all the time, mm-hmm. and especially in this world, and maybe
1: even COVID has maximized it more. Is that we even on phone calls, right? You don't know the person, you've never met the person, you've never seen the person, but you've spoken with them many, many, many times. You've built this
2: visual of who this person's supposed to be. Right, you've already built it in your mind. So that's one thing that I try to, that's one thing that I try to, you know, take away when I interact, you know, even, on, even when I'm during outreach. You know, like here, you know, being at Winter Strong, mm-hmm. um, you know, just interacting with everyone out here is they look at me and it's like, have you ever have you ever been in a situation where, you know, there's a dynamic situation and you have multiple flavors going on in your mouth? Like this is going on, that's going on, this is going on. It's like, man, I don't know how to take it. You know, I don't know if it's good. Or I don't know if it's, you know, it's distasteful. So that's one thing that i i try to you know translate in what i do Hmm. you know because you have all these different things going on in your mind but then just just dive right into it so you get to know who that person is so that so they know also who you are you know as a conservation officer i love being outdoors i love doing what i do i love interacting i love making contact I love educating and it aligns with the mission of the of the service and that's one of the reasons why you know I am with the Fish and Wildlife Service because of the mission you know protect and conserve uh you know for future generations like I truly believe in that and so whenever you know during outreach events whenever you are in contact with someone you know I haven't ran into any officer within the agency that does not love being outdoors and love cons- conserving, you know, just as much as the 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 hunters that we encounter. So
1: you're not just selling us something because no, the Fish and Wildlife Services is no, listening.
2: No, no, it's not. It's not that. It's because that's what, in my heart, what aligns with. That in my heart, that's what al- aligns with what I desire for myself as well as my family as well.
1: So you're so you're telling me that you don't have a quota of tickets that you have to fulfill every month.
2: No, there's no quota. There's no quota of tickets. The, my my goal is my goal personally and also with the agency. It aligns. It aligns with. Our job as conservation officers is to educate, and it's to educate, you know, cause a lot of times there's a lot of things that, you know, you may not know, um, or you're just not aware of, or if there is a violation, you know, you learn from it so that you don't make that mistake. The The, the bottom line is we want, I want, and I would hope for every hunter or every outdoorsman uh, to want is to be an ethical, ethical hunter. You know, because we we deserve that right, or reserve that deserve that right for each other right. and our kids, right. and future generations. But we owe that to the animal and the game that we're taking to as well.
1: So that's one massive perception around hunters: we're not ethical. No, I wouldn't say that. Well, to the general public, to the non-hunting public, and maybe skewed a little bit to the anti-hunting public that hunters have questionable ethics. Do you find that to be true or not true in terms of, because you interact with hunters all the time.
2: I interact with hunters all the time. I, I, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say that I have interacted with hunters who, who have the perceptions that hunters aren't ethical. I would just say that I've encountered non-hunters who don't agree with hunting if th- does that make sense yeah it makes sense not that it's not ethical they just don't agree with it but you must you must you have to
1: have interactions with hunters that are not ethical. Uh, yes i do what do you think the percentage would be if you had to count it like okay i may interact with 20 people a week 50 people a week or a month of that percentage of people, how many do you think you're interacting with that are you're 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 interacting with them because they have they are not ethical. An ethical being
2: following the law. Okay? Now purposefully not following the law. Purposely not following the law. That's a good question. Um I would say I made fifty contacts. I would say maybe 10 i mean i don't know i would have to actually like dig into the stats on that you know based off of what i run into but the one thing is i think i don't i don't think people
1: i would count sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but i'm thinking in my brain i'm not a law enforcement Mm -hmm. officer but there are people who purposely break the law and get caught and then those that didn't know honestly did not know they were breaking the law what is that percentage difference and did I categorize them correctly
2: yes you actually you did it you did you you did it a great job of, of breaking that down when you say that is it
1: 80 20 like you just counted it as 50 and 10 so that's I, I 80 was, percent 20 I would say
2: maybe 80 20 okay. That that legitimately don't know and I think there are people that do know but they just either are lazy or don't want to you yeah. know that's for in instance, the 20 percent category yes yeah, so give that, us an example so an example um you go out fishing right you may know in the back of your mind you have to have a fishing license but you just don't get it or even if or if i make contact you know with you and you tell me you have a fishing license, and then you don't have a fishing license, then, then it gets complex. So when you ask your question, you know, that's what was running through my mind because I've ran into situations where um, I've made, made contact with someone, and uh, when I made contact with them, I asked them you know, if they possessed a fishing license or, or a hunting license or what have you. And um, after I made contact with them, You know, and they told me that they did have a fishing license.
1: And And then you ran it and they didn't. Exactly. That made the situation worse.
2: Well, I won't say it made it worse. It just, you know, you want to be ethical and you you be truthful and forthcoming. That's that's, that's the main thing that, you know, we ask about so we can educate you.
1: Do you think you, and maybe I'd love to know the answer to this question, in terms of how you interact with someone, If someone is completely straight up with you and honest. Yes, sir, I don't have a fishing license. Versus someone that you just described, an example of them saying, oh, I've got a fishing license. And then you dig and you find out they don't. Do you treat the individual differently? I know it's a tough question.
2: No, it's actually not a tough question. Okay. That is a... So, so the hardest the hardest violation notice to write, I mean I don't wanna like talk about tickets or anything like that. But the hardest the hardest contacts and the hardest tickets to write, you know, for that matter, would be to that compliant individual. Those are the hardest ones. Um because they are compliant, they wanna learn. And so what what we do and what I do is you know, you try to use that moment as an educational moment. So, for instance, you don't have a fishing license. Okay, well, how many, do you got? Have you caught any fish yet? You know, it's multiple ways where you can right. handle multiple ways where you can handle that situation. Well, let you know, it could be someone that's very new, someone that's out of state. Um, my area of responsibility, I'm on a military base, so I run into a lot of active duty members. So, what I what I do is I try to Use, like I said use that moment as an educational moment maybe they didn't know that they were required to have a fishing license like I know it's on the military base sometimes it could be complex because you can either be required an additional permit or you can be required not to have a, a permit you know some some installations um, so what I'll do um, not all the time it just depends on the circumstances I can't sit here and predict the situation the outcome I, but what i would do is um you know maybe allow that person to or teach them how to purchase a fishing license you know right from their phone if that opportunity is mm-hmm. available mm-hmm. or give them an opportunity you know to hey by the, i'm gonna leave i'm gonna walk away when, when i come back you know if you have a fishing license you know you know maybe you know go from there um but you want to be f- my thing is um you want to be firm fair and consistent across the board. So if I'm doing that for this person this day, I want to do that for, you know, everybody that day or that week or right. you know, things right. like that. But then when it, when it becomes a pattern and things like that, then you got to kind of know what you're dealing with and then adjust accordingly.
1: What would you say would be the most common problem you come across? No license
2: Not even no, I wouldn't say no license. I would say um, damaging others' property, taking others' property. Like, especially on public lands, you know, you may have someone that's been hunting in this particular spot for 20 years or 15, 10 years, and then someone new comes in and they hunt behind there, and that person that's been hunting there 20 years, they were beat to that spot this year. and Whoa, 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 whoa. But it's public land, Terrence. It's, it's public
1: land. Doesn't you own it? I own it. All American citizens own it. Right. That person that's been hunting there for 20 years. Okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. But I have—that's the egalitarian model, right? That's I have just as much right to be there as you do. Exactly. The fact that
2: you've been there for 20 years. Okay, great. It means nothing. Right. And that's the biggest problem that we run into. Well, that's the biggest problem that I run into. From what standpoint? The guy that's been hunting there for 20 years, the guy that's been there on both sides of the fence, the guy that's been there for 20 years, he feels that the new guy that's coming into his spot or new 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 gal, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say outdoors, mm-hmm. outdoorsman. I don't want to mm-hmm. stereotype it, but um, outdoorsmen or outdoorswoman uh, that's going to that spot, they feel that that's they're they've taken ownership because. Everybody knows that that's their spot. Now, um, on the other side of the coin, you have that new hunter that comes there. You know, that old hunter may be, you know, tinkering with the guy that's been there, Maybe, maybe tinkering with his... His uh his trail camera, his his stand, you know, and I run into, you know, it safety issues where someone may take someone's stand or take someone's camera or cover right. his camera up, mess with his bait pile or her bait pile or whatever. Right. You know, and that's that's probably one of the biggest biggest things this year that I've had issues with. I can see that.
1: When it when it moves into as you say, when it moves into private property and obviously, certain states have different laws about what you can leave in the woods and what you can't leave in mm-hmm. the woods, kind of deal. Um, but then again, though, is it truly private property if it's on public ground? Where does where does the fish where does where does the service sit there? Because it's not technically like how can you claim ownership? Like how can I put a stand up? Because I guess now we're, we're rolling into a gray area right Mm -hmm. in that because technically yes that may be my stand but it's on public ground right what is the laws tied to like how why can't i take that person's stand down
2: so um in the rules depending on where you're at like Uh if it's you know depending on what refuge or in my case on the uh, military installation in the rules um on the base um the only in the rules it'll it'll state you know the only people that are allowed to remove stands are the fish and wildlife officer or staff so if anyone else comes in there and moves the stand then you know or that, there may
1: be rules that you're only allowed to have a stand up between sunup and sundown or something like that right. right
2: or you can have you can put up a stand all season yeah okay and then after the season you're required to move that stand down
1: so what you're saying is most of the times there's going to be technic there's typically going to be a rule that's tied to who's allowed to move the stand once it's up exactly mm-hmm. okay i can see that
2: and then it comes in like depending on what state or or what location you're in you it would run into um like maybe criminal mi- criminal mischief mm-hmm. you know like you know, while you're, or hunter harassment, like you're actually on the active chase of a game, whether you're there or not, you're on the active chase of a game, but then you go, damn, you know, go, uh, you know, tamper with someone's trail cam, then you have a problem, you know, because that person is actually trying to, you know, hunt that game. Obviously we can't sit in a in a in a tree stand 24 hours, seven days a week, you know, but you can, you know, that, that camera is a, and, tool that the hunter uses to chase the wild game or it doesn't even have to be chasing wild game it could be just to see what's going on out there you know so we have pretty
1: good pretty strict hunter harassment laws in the states i don't know any of them and i apologize i should but i don't we have good hunter harassment laws does it it vary what would be the federal hunter harassment
2: law um i don't know it off the top of my head uh but um,
1: and the reason I asked the question is that, for instance, like in Australia right now, okay, duck hunting is under attack in Victoria. It's the big duck hunting state in Australia. And they have they have anti-hunters go out and stand in the pond, opening day of duck season with live fire guns in the blind. and people get shot all the time. Wow and the cops will come in and take the anti-hunters out because of hunter harassment. Uh-huh. I wonder do we have that kind of stuff built in here in the states?
2: To my knowledge, we don't. Wow. to my knowledge, we don't have anything or I haven't heard anything of that extreme in No, the United I don't states. I've never heard it in the United States yet. Well, that's interesting. And I
1: say yet very purposely because I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. We've I've heard it before though. I've heard people um like on public land opening turkey morning turkey woods or opening deer season a bunch of people that didn't like hunting getting in getting into that same public land and making a lot of noise walking through the woods right. kind of deal
2: and you and you do have which that which is they're
1: they're allowed to do
2: that right you know they're wearing orange they're doing all the things but they're they're there for a reason you do have that i mean you have some you know you have you do have people who, you know, claim areas uh, like where I'm at. You you do have people. They'll put in for well that we don't have it anymore. But you know, when I first first came uh, to my area, and uh, we have you know families, you know, there was hunting allowed behind some of the houses, and it's only cr- uh, compound bow across, mm-hmm. across uh, only bow hunting, mm-hmm. and um, just there's been you know families that have you know won the lottery for the area behind their house just so no one would hunt those areas because they were just concerned about the safety right you know of their kids and families and their their uh their domestic animals
1: right now we also saw what happened in botswana and i think it happened with the grizzly tags i don't know if you remember the situation the grizzly tags that they opened up in wyoming and uh South where Dakota the, maybe with the anti hunting group they went in and wanted to all purchase all, all the tags mm-hmm. and they were like no no you have to hunt these bears right like,
2: yes <laughs> that's I, i'm the I, point yes I, I i i did read uh read literature on that i did <laughs>
1: yeah i'm just surprised we don't see mm-hmm. more of it i really am you mm-hmm. know um hey it's good that we don't let's just say that yes
2: it's yeah. good that we don't i mean being out being outdoors hunting um the numbers have declined over the years. Um, I mean, since we've been out here at Winter Strong, that's been a common theme across the board. Everyone here wants to, you know, take out that new hunter or encourage that new person to get out and hunt, and which which is why, I, you know, I, I'm enjoying, you know, being here um, and, and meeting everybody that's here as well. Because, you know, on both sides of the coin, you have the unethical hunter, and then you have the you know the ethical hunter, and then you know at some point in time there's something that always slips our mind. Like every time, I mean, even right now during this entire podcast, I could probably say things that are are a lot better or do a lot better. But it's it's me and it's who it is it's who I am, and it's it's being you know it's mm-hmm. real. And anyone that has ever um, met me or been around me long enough, you know, I'm I try to be as authentic as possible, but you know, professional and you know, fair and sure. be who I am within all of that. You sure. know, be who who I am because, you know, you'll sniff out if I'm not being authentic or if I'm not being myself or who I am, you'll be able to s- sniff it out right mm-hmm. away. Well, for,
1: you know, for everyone out there, all hunters out there, and I'll say it for me, I don't speak for everyone else, but I want to thank you for what you do protecting my resources because I'm an American citizen now and protecting my kids' resources for them to grow up one day and be able to explore the woods and be able to explore that wildlife and be able to hunt it. Uh so and I appreciate for you for who you are, right? You being this, you know, African American in the federal game warden service, um, doing a yeoman's effort and, you know, as as we first as we started this podcast,
2: sort of casting away stereotypes left, right and center. Thank you. Thank you. I I appreciate you, you know, recognizing that because i don't always get that you know but hey um i do appreciate it and my my thing is i just want to do my part i want to do my part where um it's something that i love hey it may be atypical it may be abnormal uh you know you know for me but one thing that i will say is um i know there's there's a variety of hunters outdoorsmen out there um, you know, you have African-American, you have Caucasian, um, you have native Alaskans, you have uh, Puerto, in Puerto Rico, you have uh, Spanish, uh, Spanish descent, Texas. I mean, so in uh, Native Americans, you know, within the lower 48. Um, so it is very diverse. Um, you know, each each ethnicity. Or each each uh, group or subgroup of hunters may not get the national attention or that you know the TV attention the TV attention that you you may see. But there is a big culture in all, each of these subcultures, and you know having this you know having this opportunity to work for the United States Fish and Wildlife Service has allowed me to see those different cultures and i wish those subgroups and so that's something that's a huge takeaway uh for me as well um and that's something that i i enjoy because you see everyone in the way um you know you may have seen someone harvest an animal um in the way in in what they take you have some people that don't you know, eat every single part of the animal or have a use for every single part of the animal. And then you may have others, you know, nothing is left behind, you know, and nothing go or I won't say nothing is left behind. Nothing goes to waste. Right. And so that is very interesting uh, to me. And there's different styles and techniques and things that you get to learn. And I, you know, and I'm fortunate enough, you know, to have the opportunity to, to see that as well. Well, I appreciate you, Terrence. Thank you, man. Thank you.
1: Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.
0: Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.